Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. So I remember the first like year I lived in Nashville, that was really hard. Like, you know, my friends were all off doing their pro, you know, jobs, you know, as graphic designers and photographers and all these things. And I would be at home sort of by myself all day working on music not playing much yet and sort of waiting for people to book shows. And, um, and it was tough, you know, it was like, uh, because you know, like anything you're beginning that you really have a dream on, there's this feeling of like, I think I've got this thing. How do I let everybody know I've got this thing? Um, and you really have to trust the process and believe in your skill set, so that when it does come, you know, you're ready and, and you put in the work to sort of prove it true. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Dave, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, it's my pleasure to have you here. So I was actually introduced to you by way of our mutual friend, Jeff Goins, and he told me a little bit about your story. And uh, as I was telling you before we officially hit record here, when anybody is a musician, I'm always intrigued by what they do. But before we get into that, uh, I want to start by asking, what social group were you a part of in high school? And what impact did that end up having on the choices that you've made with your life and your career? Yeah, man, what a great first question. And uh Man, um, it's so funny. I was referencing this group of friends last night, which is so random because I haven't, I haven't actually talked about it in a while, but I've always been really uh, fortunate. Um, it, it kind of, it's kind of a joke with my, with my siblings and fam, my nuclear family and I that like growing up, I just always had really great friends uh-huh. and I would love to credit that because I'm like a great friend magnet, but I think it was a lot more that that uh, kind people saw my need for them and let me in their group. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, I, 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 uh, I've just always had really, really great friends when we moved to, uh, so I grew up mainly in Mississippi okay. and then, um, the summer before my, uh, junior year of high school, we moved to Knoxville. And so Knoxville's my, my class, you know, my grade or whatever in Knoxville was twice the size of my entire high school in Mississippi. And so it was a pretty dynamic shift. Um, and so I went from, you know, a school that small in Mississippi, you don't, you really don't even have, there's no, there's not enough people to actually have clicks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just sort of like everybody, you know, the 20 or you know, the 50 people in your grade, a hundred people in your grade. It's like, everybody just kind of knows everybody and you hang out, but there's not that real dynamic feeling of like, here's 
the nerds, here's the jocks or, you know, whatever the, you know, the, all the great eighties movies, how they portray that stuff. But, um, but when I moved to Knoxville, it, it was definitely that case. Cause you know, my class was about five or 600 people. Um, and, uh, and I was so fortunate cause I just fell in with these really great, wonderful people. I, I grew up, my dad is a preacher. And so I grew up, um, in the church and, and it was just these great kind of youth group, uh, kids who were just really, really, um, wonderful, kind, benevolent, thoughtful people. And so, um, and it was kind of a mix of everybody. I would say the uniting theme was our, was, uh, was a faith theme. It wasn't like, uh, soccer or art or music. Cause, cause all of us actually did a little bit of everything. Like I was in a band at the time and, and we all sort of met through that. And then I had friends who were athletes, um, that did that. And so, that was kind of my, you know, my context was more rooted around the church and kind of growing up in that than it was sort of, uh, uh, relating to people because of what we did, uh, more related because of the faith we shared. Yeah. And so, um, and so that, that was kind of, you know, but man, really funny, hysterical, super wonderful, talented kids. Like it was, it was a really fun, um, thing because you know when you get to a city that's bigger like that you know um from the small town i grew up in there was all of a sudden all this opportunity and people did things i didn't even know what they like i didn't even know what lacrosse was you know what i mean and so it was fun to kind of get into a situation where people were sort of excelled at these skill sets i didn't even know were things Mm -hmm. um you know so that was theater and just like stuff that we just didn't have i didn't have access to growing up in a small town in mississippi so um, that was kind of the social group. It was really funny. It was super diverse, um, uh, and had really incredibly talented people that I, I, I loved sort of getting to learn from and be friends with. Wow. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I moved after my freshman year in high school, um, and mm. I found it incredibly disruptive to my life. Um, as a result yeah. of that move, where did you move from and where to, I moved from Texas to Southern California. I moved from a small Texas town uh, to Riverside, California. And it's funny because I wouldn't want to live in Bryan, Texas ever again. Now I I dreaded the idea of leaving. Like I not more than anything. I did not want to leave. And, uh, you know, as a result, I don't really have very close relationships with anybody that I went to high school with except one person. And I became friends with him almost 20 years later. I'm actually going to be the best man. Oh, wow. I'm going to be the best man in his wedding this summer, uh, which is interesting. And, and he was two years younger than me. Yeah. So it, it, one, of, one of the things that came up for me, one was, you know, adapting to that change. I'm wondering what and what was that like for you? And having grown up the son of a pastor, um, was religion a part of your life, like growing up? And, and what is the impact of it today? Uh, and why does faith lead to such a sense of community between people? God, this is like... You're coming in. This is, these are, congratulations to you. These are, <laughs> these are like, you're bringing the two by four. I love this. Um, so say those again, cause I really want to address them well. Absolutely. Uh, the question of, of adapting to a new environment, especially after a junior in high school, cause I found it so rough after freshman year, but before becoming a senior, how did you navigate that part of this uh, transition? And, uh, yeah. having grown up the son of a pastor, you know, what is the role that faith, uh, plays in your life today? And why is it that faith creates this sense of community between people? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. God, great question. So, so one, the transition for me was, was really great. Cause, cause I, I definitely was, um, 
You know, honestly, what I think happened is it sort of unlocked this, these, these talents I didn't know I had because there wasn't a place for them in this small town. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning like, you know, uh, I never really done skits, improv, like, uh, being on stage. I would started to flirt with that stuff. Some when we would do like youth group trips and I'd be on the, you know, we, we do like little funny, stupid skits, but when I moved to Knoxville, um, you know, I was in this big youth group, uh, that I was going to while my dad was planning the church he was planning and we didn't have a youth director yet. So, you know, all of a sudden I was up in front of people a lot more and that felt really natural, which I had never known was a thing for me. Um, because there was really no outlet for that. And then really music, you know, that, that I got there and guys played electric guitar and bass and all these things that I didn't know a human being in my small town of Mississippi who played an instrument like that, who played a, you know, what you'd probably call like a band or rock and roll, you know what I mean? Like electric guitar, you know? And so for me, it, it was, I was, it was very providential timing, I think, because I was kind of ready. I, I mean, this is the cheesiest metaphor ever, but I really did feel like the butterfly that was ready to come out of the cocoon. You know, it's kind of like, uh, it was, it was, t- I think for, for who, um, who I was becoming and, and, who I need, who I needed to sort of be that, that move was really integral to me to kind of going, Oh my gosh, there's all these opportunities. And so a lot of, a lot, really a lot of what I do now professionally came from me moving, you know, from me getting exposed to that much more opportunity and just, um, you know, uh, whatever you'd call those kind of experiences. And so it had a profound impact on, on me and, and gave me access to stuff that I didn't really have access to before. Um, and then, you know, I think, uh, growing up, uh, in the church and, and my dad being a pastor, I, I'm really blessed. I was talking about this with some friends last night at dinner. Um, because my parents did a really good job of like not forcing that down our throats as kids. Um, and we were actually talking about this last night about our kids and, and uh, the rest of these guys are Christian guys. And we were just kind of talking about like, how, how do you, how, how can you, you know, uh, how can you show your kids your faith without it being something that, that they don't want to do because of you? You know what I mean? Like, how, how do you, how do you live it in a way that they go, gosh, that seems like the best way. And I want to do that. And that's, that's, as opposed to them going like, you know, as, as opposed to you becoming the reason they don't do it. You know what I mean? And they look at you and they go, no, you are a hypocrite or you said this one thing over here, but then you do this over here. And, and so I think I was really blessed because my parents just lived it really well in front of us. And so, um, you know, I think we, we sort of saw them do that and it, and it just really made sense to us. Um, uh, and I think, you know, to your point about being so unifying, um, I only know my experience in the, in the Christian faith, but you know, so much of, of, uh, so much of what I think the Christian faith is about is communal is the idea of like, I heard this, I think it's a C.S. Lewis quote, but you know, we only really can know ourselves through community. Um, and, um, and I think too, just that it's a, it's, it's a faith that's based on the church, which the church is just the body of, of believers and people who, who believe. And so, um, you can only kind of experience through that group of people. I think it's not a faith that's meant to be done uh, by yourself. And so, um, so I think it, it just intrinsically is meant to be together, um, which I think is really beautiful and terrifying and hard and, rewarding and you know all those things but i think that's why the christian faith at least tends to sort of be that way you know Mm -hmm. um 
were you a musician very early on in your life or did that only start when you got to Knoxville? Well, much like you, I grew up uh, in the band doing like a uh, school band and played drums. And then we, I just started playing drum set before we moved from Mississippi and, uh, and really, really enjoyed it and, and felt like, um, you know, felt like this is like really cool. And, and so when I got to Knoxville, I had a drum set and then I, I'd stopped doing the band thing cause I was super duper worn out doing it. And, uh, and that sort of was, the, you know, drums were sort of the gateway drug to music for me because it was like I didn't end up uh, even though I went to college to study that um, I didn't end up um, continuing that because once I started writing songs and playing guitar, it was like, ah, this is what I wanted to do. You know, yeah. I didn't know it the whole time. But like once I once I found that that was really what I enjoyed the most. Did you have any early music teachers that uh, had an infl influence on all of this? You know, it, it, truthfully, not really, because yeah. because a lot of my education was 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 a you know sort of um, it was in a context of like a high school band. It wasn't sort of the really cool guitar player teacher right. that you had that showed you Beatles songs or Nirvana or something. It was it was a lot more the guys that I was playing with, you uh -huh. know, in bands and uh, kind of the music community, both in Knoxville and in, in Murfreesboro and Nashville, as I sort of continue to play. Yeah. So how do you get from high school to, uh, what you're doing today? Yeah. Um, I went to middle Tennessee state university, which I call the poor man's Belmont Belmont here in Nashville is this incredible private, um, college that, that has an in, incredible, incredible music program. Um, and I, and it's really unique. I mean, it's, it's not super unique, but, but, you know, among the Berkeley's and sort of those colleges, um, college of music, at least, um, they have professionals that are on staff. So, I mean, you know, Chester Thompson, who has been in Genesis his whole life and is one of arguably the most successful, famous drummers of the seventies and eighties and nineties is on staff at this, you know, school. So, so we didn't have that at the public, at the public version, but, um, it, it I went there thinking I was going to play drums while I was there. I started playing guitar and singing and, and writing songs. And then by the time I graduated, I was kind of like, I really like this. I like, I like writing songs. I like singing, got to Nashville and, uh, worked for a producer. that's just kind of a minion, um, doing whatever he needed. And at the end of that in 2001, at the end, in de December, 2001, um, I ended up making like a little EP with him. And then I, and then January, 2002 was the beginning of, you know, full-time career for me doing it, which is crazy. Uh, but, but I've only done that since. So I get the sense that, uh, at least from my own training as a writer, uh, and you know, like unlike you, my high school band director, I think was easily probably the most influential teacher I ever had in terms of informing habits yeah. and, and understanding what came out of practice. Um, and that you could produce results that were far beyond your current capabilities simply by consistent, by doing something consistently, uh, as somebody who has built a career as a musician, what, what are the habits, uh, routines, rituals? What is the sort of day-to-day -day behavior that enables this and how much of that came from college? And, and, you know, what are the things that you learned along the way? Yeah. You know, I mean, you're, you're the pro and you know about this much better than I do from, from having read books in the podcast and, you know, conversing with so many super wise, smart, creative types. But I think for me, a lot of it, um, you know, is availability. Like you have to be available to it. I think that there's always that living in Nashville and I'm sure your community of writers, um, 
you know, that, you know, and, and spend time with, it's really tricky because some people are like, I only write when inspiration hits. Um, and, and they're actually really great at that. I mean, I have a friend who's one of the most successful friends I know, and he only writes a record. He'll write his whole record the month before he records. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, how do you even do that? Like I have to get 40, 50 songs out of the way before I get to, before I can sort of put together what the record needs to be. Um, and he's like, ah, if I need 11 songs, I'll write 11 songs and we go record them. And they're amazing. And I'm like, I want to shiv you in the shin. Like <laughs> that's not fair. You can do, you know what I mean? It's like, that's ridiculous. But, um, so, so, but for me, a lot of it is availability. Um, and, and, you know, it sounds like you with, with, trying to write a thousand words a day. Uh-huh. That's kind of what I try to do. Like I have a studio in my backyard that I built and I come back here as much as I can to just kind of sit and be around it, and, you know, play the piano, strum the guitar a little bit, you know, listen to songs, sort of, sort of conjure the spirits, you know what I mean? Sort yeah. of like uh, get, get, get the thing right to try to sort of find out what's in the room, if there's anything sort of floating around. Um, that's a lot of it. Um, you know, just the availability. I, I, I'm sort of a weirdo. I have a lot of friends that sort of always thought I was weird this way, but I, I enjoy the work so much. Like sounds a lot like you, like I just, I really love to create. I had a friend of mine ask me in this hysterical Q and a, she had to do in college for one of her classes. She interviewed me and it's a really great question. And this is even, this is, you know, 20 years old. And she's like, if, if uh, what's the one thing if you couldn't do, you feel like you would like shrivel up and die. And without thinking, I was like, create. And I think for me, that's still the truth. And so I, I love to do it. Like I, I have a lot of artist friends that aren't near as, um, I hate calling it discipline because it doesn't feel like discipline, um, but aren't quite as enamored with it maybe, or, or sort of, um, I don't know what the word is discipline. Let's just say discipline. But like, you know, if I could, I would be in here every day trying to write something, you know, at least for 30 minutes. Um, and if it doesn't, you know, it's fine. Uh, but I think for me, it's, it's a lot of, um, availability. And then I think, um, you know, and then trying to finish stuff, you know, like once it started really trying to go, okay. And, and this is where, you know, our jobs are so different because, you know, but maybe chapters, you know, maybe you could look at like a chapter. Like I love once something is started. Cause then it's like, okay, now I just got to finish it. Mm-hmm. The, the hardest stuff to me is always the sort of like you're staring at chapter three and you don't know what it's supposed to be about, <laughs> you right. know, like, or for me, I'm sitting there going like, I need two more songs in this record. And I feel like I've already said everything I need to say, you know, yeah. Th- those are really tough. I, there's nothing more that I love and I, I'm never more voracious and, and dedicated and like, uh, assassin, like when I know when I have it started, cause then it's like, okay, I, I know I can finish this. I, it, the beginning of stuff is really hard for me, but, um, uh, you know, and that's kind of always been that way. I mean, it was a real interesting thing writing my second record. Um, you know, I wrote my first record every, you know, I, I love, there's a, um, uh, what's his name that was in Crosby stills and Nash. Um, it's either, I think it's David Crosby that says, look, everybody can write a first a first great record because it took you usually 20 years, 25 years to write, you know, so it's going to be good. But he's like, I want to, I want to hear your second record. And then if you can make a great second record, then you probably have got something because you know, it takes you a year to write and you're busy. And so, um, when I was making my second record, it was the first time that like I would find myself and I'm extremely extroverted and I would find myself alone. Uh, I was living with, uh, my best friend at the time before I got married and, and I would just hole up in our apartment and write all day long, kind of without knowing I was doing that. And I remember I would kind of, it'd be four o'clock and he'd be 
you know, calling like, Hey man, what, you want to meet up somewhere and you know, whatever, hang or go get something to eat or something. And I was like, Oh my God, I've literally been sitting at this table writing a song since 10 AM. Um, and I loved it. And that was a really interesting shift for me because I had tons of friends who were all single, you know, all music people who'd be around town doing stuff all day. And I would volitionally stay at home. And that was a real weird thing for me because there's no one has FOMO but worse than I do. But yet I, 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 could, I was so much more obsessed with like trying to get songs done and, and writing. And, and then I was like, hey, man, we're all going to play, you know, Frisbee golf or come hang at You know, we're all hanging and having lunch downtown at, a, at Satco or something. And I was always like, man, I, I'm in the middle of something. And I was it, it amazed me. I remember I sort of looked up you know, a few months in that process. And I was like, what has happened to me? Um, and so I think, you know, I, I've, I've, I've always sort of had that in me. I, I sort of have that like tin pan alley thing, you know, um, where I really like doing the work, uh, which I'm super thankful for. But it, it, so it, it's never really felt a lot like this one to me. Cause I think I enjoy the work so much, you know? Yeah. You know, so obviously, uh, in any creative career, there's a period, it seems to me, where there is a struggle involved, where there's an uncertainty to whether this is going to work out. It's not a yeah. sort of straight and narrow path, like becoming a doctor or uh, the steps aren't clearly laid out for you. And right. I'm wondering how you navigated that aspect of this from a mindset and psychology standpoint. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, I imagine it's a lot like, uh, a lot of the creative endeavors or sort of occupations. Um, at the beginning it was just so much waiting, you know, it's like, you're sort of in your lab cooking up these things kind of going, Oh my gosh, it works. Like when I pour this here, it cleans the thing. And, Oh, I was trying to make a great little cleaner, <laughs> you know, like, or, or it produces smoke and it's supposed to be, you know, and you're waiting for somebody to just kind of walk by the lab that goes, Hey, what you doing? Like, oh, come here. And so I think, making music. Um, it was so the beginning of that was so lonely and, uh, I had to have so much patience, which I'm terrible at both of those things. And so, um, you know, I think for me, it was just really having to trust that this was what I was supposed to be doing and that the, you know, skill sets that I were given were, were, were what I needed were enough. And we're going to be, um, you know, we're going to prove to be, um, you know, like, true or, 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 you know, significant or whatever the word would be. So I remember the first like year I lived in Nashville, that was really hard. Like, you know, my friends were all off doing their pro, you know, jobs, you know, as graphic designers and photographers and all these things. And I would be at home sort of by myself all day working on music and not playing much yet and sort of waiting for people to book shows. And, um, and it was tough, you know, it was like, uh, because, you know, like anything you're beginning that you really have a dream on, there's this feeling of like, I think I've got this thing. How do I let everybody know I've got this thing? Um, and you really have to trust the process and believe in your skill set, so that when it does come, you know, you're ready and, and you put in the work to sort of prove it true. Um, but you know, I think that that was the hardest season for me. And I think in some ways right now, it's another kind of I feel like I'm entering the second sort of like half of my creative, um, occupational life because, um, you know, like starting this family and not, you know, I can't tour as much as I used to. So, you, you know, there's a lot of other things I'm doing, writing songs for other people. And, and it's the genesis and beginning of a lot of things and the continuation or sort of second half of like my artist career and what that's going to look like now. And, um, 
so it's it's funny i'm having to use a lot of the skills i learned when i was you know 21 again of like no dude just like trust the process do the work mm-hmm. you know um believe that it's that it's the right work but i think a lot of that sort of psychosomatic battle of, of you know I mean, my new record is basically about that struggle. It's, it's about, you know, I went from writing for myself and making these records. And then I had a song that did really well, uh, for a country artist. And, um, and then I got into doing that more. So I didn't quit my artist thing, but I kind of went, Hey, I can sort of pull that back a little bit, not tour as much and be home and be a dad. Uh, but I can do this thing from here where I write songs that other people record and, and then that can be an income and, and I felt like I was 20. I mean, I felt like I was a 19 year old kid, like, you know, cause I get in rooms with people who did that professionally and they would blow my mind. I, I, how do you do it? You know, cause so many of my songs that I've written for myself, I write by myself. And so that process is wholly different from getting a room with two other people, one other person and doing that with them, you know, because there's a speed that, you know, I've had to learn that, that, uh, you know, just all these different muscles you're using though. It's the same sort of like group of muscles, if that makes sense, you know? So, um, so I'm having to practice a lot of the same, you know, disciplines that I did then now that's like, no dude, like don't freak out, you know, just trust that it's going to be good and it is good. And, you know, um, so it's weird to kind of be back in that season season with this professional, songwriting quote unquote you know new part of my career where i'm trying to you know get songs recorded by people and write with people and stuff um believing that that's going to work out just like i felt when i was 21 moving to nashville going like you know wondering if i could just be sally fields and that everybody would like me they really like me you know what i mean (laughs) life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Uh, It's interesting. You mentioned that you'd had something that did really well. And this has been just on my mind a lot lately. And it's a thought that I haven't been able to let go of. And I I think you would be a, a perfect person to talk with about it. So I, you know, I have this new book coming out called An Audience of One, Reclaiming Creativity for Its mm. Own Sake, which, you know, arguably the, the argument that I make is that there's great value to doing these things, uh, even if there is no commercial outcome necessarily or some, you know, massive audience outcome. And of course, there's a paradox at play because I am doing everything I can to ensure that this book does as well as possible. And right. Uh, you know, I was like, wait a minute, this is ridiculous. Like my actions are the antithesis of the message of the book <laughs> and <laughs> yet they're necessary, right? I mean, you don't want to sit or yeah, you, you don't yeah. just kind of, you know, say, oh, I'm going to put this thing out in the world and pray that it all works out. Okay. I mean, you do what you have right, to, right, right, right. What I'm wondering is after you have experienced a, a level of success, how, how did you not become attached to it or did you? Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's a, that's an incredible question. I mean, I, I was, I was really fortunate because it was such a, um, unusual, um, uh, path to success and that I, you know, I'd written this song and, you know, Blake Shelton, who's the guy that recorded, it, um, who's on the voice, um, he heard it driving in his car because I released my version of it, um, to radio and he heard it. And then he took that unbeknownst to me fell in love with it, decided to record it, which is when I was notified. And then not just that he recorded, he was, you know, decided to put that on the radio. So I had nothing to do, which was wonderful because I think to me, um, I I love getting to say that that was just God's kindness, that it wasn't like, because, because to your point, I think if I had had my fingerprints all over that, it would have ruined me because I'd have been like, okay, now I got to do the same thing again. I got to go talk to this guy, move this thing, write this kind of song, shimmy it on up the ladder, try to get somebody to cut it. But I think the the grace that was sort of extended to me was that I didn't, I just written the song. So, so, so in a beautiful way, it just kind of felt like, well, that was a great answer to prayer. And man, what a gift that was. The interesting thing though, is that, you know, that's the story of that song, which was great. 
last summer I had a song that I wrote, um, uh, that a guy named Thomas Shred, another country artist released that was another number one. And that was a really different experience because that was something I, you know, he and I were supposed to write together one day and he couldn't make it. So, um, his producer and I ended up writing and we wrote this song. Thomas loved it, decided to record it. It was his first single off this new album, which was, a, it's been a massive album for him. Uh, and it was a big hit, which was great, but, but, you know, I know what happened with that one. So, so the struggle with that song has been really, or my struggle now with that song has been really different than the struggle with God gave you because it was kind of like, okay, uh, that one was a little more like, you know, I, I, I was a little more on the conveyor belt, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I kind of knew how the things, so, so, you know, it's been, I've really, I've sort of entered into a different struggle now of kind of going like, don't, you know, don't get in your head. Don't try to, don't try to, uh, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really weird, uh, 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 line to walk of kind of, um, how, how to replicate and reproduce success, um, while at the same time trying to, you know, uh, have artistic integrity, which is really tricky. And that, I mean, I think that's exactly your point with your book is like, how do you do the work? Because the work is what you love and it, and it, you know, you feel so accomplished just by doing the work, but also going, I'm not doing the work because I want it. I, I want to write the book and then stick it on my shelf and never let anybody <laughs> right. see it. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really weird, uh, really weird, um, uh, you know, continuum or whatever to sort of try to live in. Yeah. There's uh, a there's sort of level of, of sort of dissonance to it, right? You, you get the, on the one hand, oh, yeah. this is really bizarre. Uh, Interesting. Uh, so <clears throat> one of the things I'm interested in is, is the role that Nashville it, itself has played in, in, in your career. And, uh, you know, because I think it, in a lot of ways, to me, it takes us back into the role that community uh, plays in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Yep. One. Wh why is Nashville the, the hotbed of music that it is like historically? What led to that? Yeah. So, so it's really fascinating. So, you know, you kind of had so, you, you had Tin Pan Alley in New York for all those years, um, that was writing songs. Other people recorded, you had Motown doing the same thing you had, um, LA, but, but not as much, but Nashville has always, always, uh, in country music, there's, that has been an industry. Here's the songwriting industry. And so I always tell people, I think the reason Nashville feels a lot different than LA and New York is because when you have an industry that's so based on the songs, like country music is and songs that you didn't necessarily write, it's just naturally communal. Like you can't compete with somebody that you're working with. You know what I mean? Like because everybody writes with each other, everybody tours with each other, um, artists write with each other, you know what I mean? So it's just naturally, it's like there was this built-in limiter. There's this built-in sort of like uh, uh, safe, you know, uh, uh, safe key or something where it makes us all have to celebrate each other. And I think it's a wonderful little trick that this town has pulled because it just naturally makes us communal. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like I can't, be, I can't not root against my friend who I have a song on his record, right. vice versa. So, you know what I'm saying? It's wonderful. It's like, yeah. it, it's like this, this really great way it keeps us fenced in. And that's why I think Nashville is really unique because LA, there's some of that, but, but not, it's not as small of a community as Nashville. Sure. Um, and so it's, it's really cool and it's really unique. And I think a lot of people that move here love that aspect of it because I don't ever feel 
like people are cutting eyes over at me at some thing or, you know, vice versa. Not to, not to say it's not a struggle, obviously, sure. but, you know, it, it really makes Nashville unique that way. You know, it's interesting as you were saying that this thought was running through my head of why we have these zones that are created throughout the world where certain activities are they're just a hotbed for these things. Like, why is Silicon Valley a hotbed for tech startups? Why Nashville, yeah. you know, uh, a hotbed for uh, music? Why Hollywood a hotbed for mo- movies? As somebody right. who has, has been in a community that is a hotbed for something, why do you think that happens? Like, why do we have these sort of clusters of, of creative work or creative output that come from certain geographic locations? Yeah. It, it, well, I, there's a few things. I think one, um, you know, there's all the obvious stuff, you know, that like Nashville with country music sort of spawns its own community, like Silicon Valley or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I really think that we, we, we all... I think we as human beings have have some things built into us just naturally on the most natural level. One of them is we want to be known. We want people to, you know, care for us and be curious about us. Um, so I think community is a big deal there because it's it's great. But I, because people, you, you know, hey, how you doing? What did you do last night? Oh, how, how's the new record going? How's the book going? But I think the thing that's so cool about these, these hotbeds for sort of industry or whatever is we all speak the same language. Like in Nashville, I'll never forget when my wife and I got married and she moved up, you know, she ran into a friend of mine's wife at Kroger that she had just met and my buddy plays music and Annie within like, she, you know, like they're talking and, and this friend says, well, Hey, how's Dave? Oh, he's great this week. He, you know, he's gone this week and he's playing shows. Well, where's he playing? I think in Chicago. Oh, we love Chicago. Do you know what venue it is? Well, how did the merchandise sell last night? How are the tickets? And he was like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, all this stuff. And all of a sudden you're not alone anymore. And, and, and there's a, this common vernacular of people in the shared experience that is music and that is the music industry. And so I think that is such a unifying thing. You know, I mean, so many of my close friends here are creatives and so many of those are musicians. And so, you know, I'll look up and, and without knowing it, I will have spent, you know, and two hours with a buddy of mine on my front porch, um, hanging out, talking about music and how, but it doesn't feel like work. You know what I mean? It, it's sure. not like we're sitting down going like, Oh my God, my boss is killing me. You know, it's, it's just, Hey, how'd that show go? Oh my gosh, that's frustrating with the crowd. Oh yeah. Well, how, how did it end up with your drummer? That, you know? And so, um, I think those things make it really unified and especially I would say, and I wonder, this is more of a hypothetical, but I, I think too, because they're so nuanced, mm-hmm. you know, like, like the, the, the music industry is such a specific experience that it's even more unifying. You know what I mean? It's like, not just, you know what it's like to be a, a guitar player, but you know what it's like to be a guitar player in this kind of band, or not only do you know what it's like to write songs, but you know what it's like to write songs for other people and for these kind of people. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's so much shared experience. It does create community and creates the feeling of being known and, and, and knowing other people and that we're kind of in this thing together, mm-hmm. uh, which I think it's really magnetic, you know? Yeah. Wow. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, I want to spend uh, part of our time talking about mastery of craft. Um, and, uh, you know, I get the sense from talking to you that there is no end point to this, that this is a lifelong pursuit uh, to build a body yeah. of work. 
And, mm. you know, I look at musicians that I've had the, the fortune to see on stage. Uh, it's funny. I'm not a diehard Dave Matthews fan, but anytime he comes to town, I buy tickets. And I saw their email yesterday. I logged in and I was like, I just got the email and the damn tickets are already sold out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you yeah, know, yeah. when I watch people like Dave Matthews on stage, I, I, I'm baffled at the level of skill and, and proficiency. And just yeah. it, there's a level of, of you look at it and you're like, my only reaction is, holy shit, how does that happen? And yeah. same thing when I when I, I remember watching the Michael Jackson documentary, This Is It. And every time I watch that, I think that is a level of attention to detail that borders on insanity and what yeah, results yeah. is beautiful. How does that happen? I mean, yeah. you've been up close to, to musicians that are masters of their craft. What actually does it, what, what leads to that? Which I realize yeah. is a big question. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think it is a lot of the 10,000 hours thing. You know, I think it's, it's hours and hours and hours of doing something over and over, but you know that there's these there's these pocket, there's different pockets of that you know because you 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 make you make a really great point because you're going to have some performers who are better performers um, like a Michael Jackson who's going to you know and I have a few I don't know a lot of these kind of people um, because I think they're really unique but who will literally obsess over let's just say their live show. You know, they're going to like the artists will go through all the lighting cues with their lighting guy. The next night they'll do it again. The next night they sit with the sound guy and they'll play the whole show that they just recorded through the speakers and sit there with him and go, okay, the drums need to be low on this song, louder on that song, you know, whatever. Um, and that's a really unique skill. That's a really unique obsession slash skill set, um, (laughs) that makes them, you know, sort of masters of, of that thing where it's like, you're going to go see the show and it's going to blow your mind. There's going to be lights. There's going to be stuff that moves. Um, and that's sort of like one mastery, but Uh that's a really unique mass. I don't know a lot of people that are like that. Like a lot more people I know they, they want to make sure it's good. They want to make sure it's locked in and then they want to go play the show. They're not, they're not going to sort of spend the time that would cause, you know, you to go, that guy's like, when you go see Garth Brooks live, whether Uh you like country music or not, it's going to blow your mind, especially 20 years ago. But that's also because that guy was just like live, sleep, eat, drink that live show for, you know, months before it went out. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's kind of that kind of mastery, um, that I think personally it can, can kill you sort of, Mm -hmm. that has like this sort of dark other side that can really be detrimental to sort of your spiritual, personal, emotional life, because it's, it's, it's not a, I think sometimes those, those, and I, I have some friends who, this is a struggle. Like it is hard. They struggle with that obsession because it, they don't sleep at night and they can't, they're literally just obsessing over all the small details. Um, and I'm not like that. So it's funny because, you know, I'll see them and I think, I, you know, God, man, how are you surviving? But then I'll go see the live show and be like, holy crap, you know, and then vice versa. Like, I don't obsess as much and I wouldn't dare my consider myself a master of live shows, you know? So th- th- there's kind of these, but then you'll, you, you'll, but then uh, the other part of this I would say is like guys and girls who will, will obsess over songs and they want to, they will just rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite until that thing is, is 
right. But then they'll go play live and it's not as big a deal to them and it's still a great show. So it's such a, you know, music with mastery is, is such a fascinating thing because there's so many parts of it. You know, there's so many little things that come together to either create the live show or the album or, you know, that, that you can kind of be a master of something inside of that and it not affect another thing. You know what I mean? Like you can be a master of songwriting. You can be Leonard Cohen or Bob Dylan and you go see Bob Dylan live and God bless sweet Bob. But you know, you're not, it doesn't, you're not going to leave like you would a Justin Timberlake show. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. yeah. um, and so it's funny that in, in this, in this context, there's, there's subtle little masteries that you can have that don't necessarily translate to the entire, um, you know, thing if that uh, makes sense yeah, yeah no doubt. so it's kind of it's kind of weird that way it's very i think it's really it's almost impossible to find an artist i think that actually is a master of all of those things yeah you know definitely because um, it's just so much you know mm-hmm. you know <clears throat> i think the the other part of this uh like i said that's interesting interesting to me is, is that there is a, a sense of sort of a lifelong commitment to this uh, is what i'm getting is that there is no point of arrival and yeah. It's interesting. I'll, I'll share a story that uh, is part of my, my upcoming book because it's really relevant to me. And, and, and an interesting example of somebody I, I saw master a craft. Uh, I, I don't know if you're you know really familiar with the work of Daft Punk, uh, but I think yeah. more yeah. interesting than their work is the way that they've chosen to build their career in that the more famous they've become, the more anonymous they've chosen to make themselves. Like nobody knows who the hell these guys are. Like you wouldn't recognize them (laughs) walking down the streets of Nashville. And that's been a deliberate choice so much so that even when they were about to go sign with a record executive and they saw a limo pull up, they said, we'll meet you at the restaurant. We're going to take the subway. And it's it's, it's mind boggling. But I think that the question for me is, why is it that this becomes a lifelong commitment to craft as opposed to uh, this notion of that there is going to be a moment of arrival? And why do people have this misperception that there's going to be a moment of arrival? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it, 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 music in any creative endeavor, but, but I only know music. And I think music to me is so tricky because things that are insanely personal and vulnerable – can be hugely successful. And so, you know, these moments where you have just gotten your heart broken by your girlfriend, wife, kids, friends, you, you sit down and you just in a sort of, uh, you know, throwing up of emotion. Uh, and then you get done and you're like, and you put it up and people are like, Oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. You know? And you're like, Whoa, Uh, this was just sort of like a, you know, sort of like a musical diary entry. And now, you know, it's everybody in the world knows this song. And Uh so it's a really, it's kind of a dilemma, uh, in our world, I think for some people, because, you know, a lot of people don't do this to be famous and don't do this to be known. They do it because they have to do it because it's in there and they got to get it out. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think, um, you know, it can be, it can be such a tricky, uh, thing to do because, um, you know, not everybody wants to be known. Not everybody wants to be bothered by people. Not everybody wants to be asked, what did that mean? Or, you know, tell me about your personal life. And so I think, um, it creates a dilemma, I think for, 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 for some people, uh, that what you are really good at only, 
I mean, I'll never forget hearing Accounting Crow's uh, interview with Adam Juritz. And, and this is not exactly the same thing, but I think it has some resonance with what I'm saying. But like, you know, the guy was like, so, so how much do you write? And Adam was like, I don't write much. And he said, why not? And he said, well, because I know that when I write, I'll write and then I'll write a song and then I'll write some more songs and then those songs will need to be turned into a record. And then once I make the record, I'll need to go tour it and I really don't like being gone. And you know what I mean? And so there are these things in, in, in music that, 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 you know, are tricky because it's not something where you do your report, you turn in your boss and you go home. You know, it's like you, you could, you could be picking a fight that you don't really want to fight no. by writing great songs or making a great record. And so, um, I think that's a tricky part of what we do. Mm, wow. Really interesting. It's funny when you were talking about, you know, people making uh, records from their heartbreak. I was like, yeah, the band Chicago has built a multi-decade career clearly off of oh heartbreak. Like every song is about look away, that. David, look away. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, um, so I want to finish by asking you uh, about being a parent, uh, which you brought up earlier. Yeah. You mentioned that you have kids and uh, a lot of parents listen to this show, and as a person who has built a creative career, uh, what impact has that had on the way that you're choosing to raise your kids? Man, great question. Um, I think a couple things come to mind immediately. One, um, I, it, I there's a few things that I love and celebrate more than that my kids are growing up in a creative community. I think that is... I like get giddy about that because creativity to them will be normal. Like seeing their dad work on songs and come in and go, Hey, let me play out what I just wrote is totally normal. Like they don't, it doesn't phase my three kids. They're like, okay, but dad, hold on, hold on. Let this joke get finished. And I'm like, come on, this is just no dad. Hold on, hold on. You know, like that is so cool. And that my closest friends, I mean, it's become a joke. Like, We'll go see my friends play at the Ryman or the Bridgestone Arena here. And then two days later, they're over playing in our backyard. And my kids are just like, yeah, that's, hey, there's Mr. Dave and there's, there's John. You know, it's like there's no sense of like, holy crap, I just saw you in a room full of 30,000 people and now you're kicking the sock. They have no context for that. And I love that because I think that's such a gift to them should they ever want to be creative that, yeah, you can be creative. You can be creative all the time, anytime. Like, there's no requirements. It's a normal thing. Come be creative or not, you know? Yeah. So I think, I think that's a, that's a real, that's a real, I love that. I love that. Love that. That's one of my favorite things about living in Nashville. Um, I, I would also say another way that sort of creativity and, and having kids and, and what I do, it, it, how I've been affected with the parenting is, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's hard in that, you know, for me to, you know, one of the ways that I make, money is to tour and to be gone, um, which I don't like. And so I think that's, that's a hard part of it is trying to kind of figure out the work life continuum, which is, you know, um, how do you balance those things? How do you sort of, you know, be a good dad and available and, um, you know, here for the baseball games and the plays and the ballet recitals, um, while you're also trying to do, you know, that as a living and that's really hard. And I think that's, that's been something that thankfully my friends and my community and I try to dialogue about and, and encourage each other in and sort of figure out, um, you know, how, how to do that and not, not overdo it and not also, you know, watch your career just die off. I, I do think, and I mean, this, this is kind of a divisive 
a statement, I think, sometimes, but I think I've really been benefited by it. I heard this sermon series years ago by this guy in Atlanta, and it was called Choosing to Cheat, which I thought was the most hysterical. I mean, I can't imagine the, the people that came to hear this sermon series when they saw the name of it. You know, a bunch of guys were like, tell me more, Pastor. I'm listening. You know, but the idea, like, uh, he says, you know, you have work and you have your family, and one will always um, – suffer and one will always thrive, but they both can't thrive. And I thought, you know, and, and not everybody agrees with that. I, I really do think that's true. And so I think, and his whole idea of choosing to cheat is you get to choose which one thrives and which one doesn't. And so I think the sort of family workflow, I always trend toward my family. And I think that's meant that my creativity and my career have suffered in some ways. Um, which, you know, is, is hard and is a sacrifice. But I think personally that I'd rather do that and know that, you know, my kids are getting the attention they need or the guidance and, and you know, that they need from me than, than I'm making music that's like mind blowing, but they don't, they don't have access to me or I've kind of abandoned them in that way, you know? And so that's, that's kind of one of the hard parts I think of, of, uh, of, you know, not kind of doing a traditional nine to five or whatever is, is that, you know, when I'm home, I'm here and I'm available and it's great. But in the seasons where I have to be on the road for a weekend to a month or something, you know, it's just kind of tricky knowing how to navigate that well. So two last questions for you. Knowing that going down this path uh, has potentially very significant upsides, not just financially, but in terms of you know fulfillment career-wise, in terms of getting to do really profound creative work, but also at the same time knowing that it comes with a tremendous amount of uncertainty. Uh, if your kids chose to go down this path, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would green light it as much as I can green light. I mean, my, my parents were a great example because they were not musicians. And, and when I kind of came to them and went, Hey, this is what I think I, I need to be doing. They were kind of like, well, this is interesting. But I think at the same time, that that's when their faith came into play because they thought, you know, look, if this is what God has made you to do and you really feel called to it, then we have to trust that's the deal. And and they did. And, you know, here I am, you know, 16 years into a career that nobody saw coming, you know. Um, and so I would never want to stand in the way of of my kids um you know, wanted to do that if they felt like that was what they needed to do. I think the music industry these days, which is a whole other podcast, and you know, yeah. is in a really, really bad spot. So I do think I would sit and just kind of go, look, I'm not telling you not to go into that jungle, but that jungle, since I have been in it, has a lot more panthers, cheetahs, tigers, snakes, and lawyers than, you know, than when I was sort of there. Uh, so, you know, just be, just be prepared for that. But if this is what you got to do, you got to do it. So you got to go in there and, and figure it out. But, um, it, it's changed so much, you know, so, so, so much. Uh, and I wonder if you would feel the same way with your kids someday in the publishing industry, you know, it's you just, know, I it's, know that's changed. So the publishing too. industry is, is a, a perpetually morphing beast. I mean, even from two years ago when yeah. I started in it, I'm watching it yeah. change before my eyes. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. that makes a, a really, really beautiful end to our conversation. So I have one last question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Oh, do you know, I love that question. And this is how I'm so glad you asked that because I was going to kind of mention this earlier. I think 
to be uniquely who you are. And I think the challenge for all of us creatives is to be the best creative version that you can be is the most true version of yourself because it is guaranteed there is nobody like you. And I think unmistakable creativity, in my opinion, is seeing someone who is so uniquely themselves. And I think that makes them unmistakably creative. Awesome. Well, I think that makes a really beautiful way to wrap up our conversation. Uh, where can people find out more about you and your work? Yeah. Um, all of my social media stuff is Dave Barnes music and DaveBarnes.com, And it's all there and waiting to be read and loved and watered and put in the sun. So <laughs> anything and more you want is, is all there. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that, and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.